Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. A night of turmoil and tension right outside of the state capitol building. Things took a turn, crowd got angry, and it led to statues coming down. Milwaukee Democrat Tim Carpenter says people punched and kicked him in the head, neck, and ribs. Nobody was attacking you until you refused to put your phone away. It's disgusting. You know, I, I feel for Senator Carpenter. Mandela Barnes is an ally of mine. I went to Turkey with him. He's a close friend. And this is how I get treated. It definitely sounds ignorant. And um, it, it definitely does not sound like they are actually advocating for things to change. Please don't take the actions out here as violence. We are on edge. We are just trying to protect ourselves. I apologize, sir. We apologize. We did not know. It's a miscommunication. That's not enough. People out here like me that are willing to stop the argument and create a positive dialogue. This has got to end. I mean, this, you know, enough's enough. This is lawlessness. Tensions boil over in Madison as protesters pull down statues and a state senator is attacked. What prompted the unrest at the state capitol Tuesday night? And where do we go from here? Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Good morning again, Amanda. We are recording this episode on Thursday, June 25th. And the dust is still settling after a day of peaceful protesting in Madison took a destructive turn Tuesday night. Joining us this morning on the podcast are Fox 6's Aaron Maven and Jason Calvi. Both have been covering the fallout from Tuesday's unrest. Welcome to Open Record, gentlemen. Hey, good to be here this morning. Great to be here. Thanks. So let's start with Aaron, um, because Aaron, you were covering what led to the unrest, what the fallout was. So how did all of this start? Because for the last several weeks, things have been relatively peaceful when it comes to the protests. Yeah, you know, I was able to talk with a organizer who wanted to make that clear. Everything leading up to the what happened was all peaceful. But then we're finding out from Madison police there was a disturbance at a restaurant. Um, A man walking into a restaurant with a bat, with a megaphone, really disturbing the peace. And he was arrested. And people in the group he was with did not believe he should have been arrested. And that's when it appears things took a turn and the peaceful protest got a little bit more angry and there was outrage. Aaron, as I watched the video from your story of the gentleman who was arrested, and I'm not sure what the source of that video was, if it was one of the other protesters or where it came from, but you see he's inside what appears to be maybe a restaurant or a bar, I'm not sure, but he's inside a building with a megaphone and he is yelling at a couple of individuals, 
why are you so racist? Why are you racist? And he's yelling over this megaphone. What was going on there? And, and was there something that prompted that specific incident? So what's really interesting is that video came from the Madison Police Department. So they gave us the video inside the restaurant, and then we also see the video outside, and then a bystander sent us video of the arrest. So we, we really get to see a clear, I guess, explanation of what happened. And a friend of his says that that demonstration was part of their protest, going inside businesses to let their message out saying Black Lives Matter, saying, um, you know, our, we matter, right? But we're also hearing in the megaphone him yelling at a worker, asking him, why are you racist? And we don't know why exactly that restaurant was chosen because they're, you know, we know they went to a festival of foods earlier. We know there are other restaurants in the area. So not sure why that one was chosen, but obviously it didn't go over well. Police were called. Um, that behavior, in their opinion, was not okay and did warrant uh, an arrest. Jason, after this arrest and after we started to see some destruction here, State Senator Tim Carpenter was assaulted. So what happened with that? So the state senator, he's a Democrat from Milwaukee, and he was outside of the Capitol uh, Tuesday night in, into Wednesday morning, and uh, he considers himself an ally of the protesters, a friend of protesters. And so he took out his phone to capture some of the, of the protests happening outside of the Capitol. And it was right then and there where you can see the video. He posted it on tw his uh, Twitter page. And you can see peop two, two people at that moment charged him and, and rushed him. And, and uh, his phone went, went to black. And um, he said on Twitter that he was punched and kicked in the head. Uh, his neck as well as his ribs, and he, he uh, said eight to ten people actually ended up attacking him in, in that instance or he was just trying to say, he said he was just trying to get that video or uh, capture what was happening uh, with the protest there outside of the Capitol. It seems like the people involved in last night's unrest were very much against having uh, anyone take any visuals of them, whether it was photo or whether it was video. So it, it sounds like this was really uh, what they took issue with with Senator Carpenter, right? Exactly that. Yeah. So there was an interaction that was really fascinating. It was captured by WORT ORT radio in Madison. And um, and it was it, it kind of presents what happened immediately after uh, the attack on Senator Carpenter. So you see uh, this was a uh, WRT's uh, Kali Pittman had recorded the interaction and what you see there is you see the people telling Carpenter that you know they, they, they brought up the phone they said you took out your expletive you know you took out your they used some expletives here but you took out your phone and uh, and, and you know if you want to be an ally of us later they said if you want to be an ally of us march with us but don't film us so I think there's a real worry amongst these protesters that um, somehow their pictures, their images will be used by the police possibly to, to bring these protesters to, to justice, so to speak. And we saw, you know, that the, they were worried about that arrest that, that uh, Aaron just told us about of one of their fellow protesters. So they were really worried that night that there'd be no taping, no recording, no, no video so that they can be identified in some way, shape or form. Jason, when you listen to the audio that was recorded by this uh, radio reporter in Madison, it's the aftermath of this attack. And, and you hear at first, 
Some of the protesters don't seem to believe he's a state senator. One actually jokes that it, why would a state senator drive a Honda Accord? And someone else assures him he is a state senator, in fact. And then they say, oh, wow, well, we didn't, you know, we didn't know, we didn't know. But look, man, you had your phone out. And then uh, one of those protesters then actually calls for medical attention. Like, hey, get this guy medical attention. And there's a conversation that ensues as they go on. We apologize. We got shot at tonight, okay? Everybody is done. This is the first time I've ever been assaulted. It's the first time I've ever got shot at, so. The protesters said, at least the voice you hear, look, we're on edge. We were just shot at. And I assume by being shot at, he's referring to maybe, I don't know if he means the non-lethal, the rubber bullets or something, or if in fact there were people firing actual weapons. I'm not sure what he was referring to there, but he, he gives the sense that they were on sort of heightened edge themselves when they see Senator Carpenter with his phone out. Do you know what it was that had them so on edge that ultimately they end up assaulting a state senator? Yeah, that, that was a curious part of the interaction that was captured by WRT radio there in Madison. Uh, they, they, the protesters had mentioned that they were, like you said, on edge. They, they, they had alleged that they were shot at. Um, they said, one of the protesters said three different people tried to kill them, that they were run down as well. Um, so I don't have any confirmation of those allegations that, uh, that the protesters were bringing up. But again, they did say they were on edge and they had just seen one of their fellow protesters earlier in the day, which precipitated all of these uh, protests. And then the later violence that we saw in Madison uh, was the arrest of one of their fellow protesters. So I think they were on edge from that. And then they were alleging more more attacks against them. I, I cannot confirm any of that, which they which they were t telling the senator happened to them and they were trying to explain why they had rushed him and why they were so worried about these cameras being out. Aaron, part of your coverage was uh, statues that were torn down during the unrest. What what were those statues? Because that was a point of contention. Yeah, two statues torn down outside the Capitol building. The first, the forward statue, uh, which represents women's rights. And then there is the statue of Hans Christian Haig, which is on the other side of the Capitol building, and that honors uh, an abolitionist. So both of those statues were literally pulled down. Uh, there are reports that the one of Haig was actually dumped into a nearby lake after being dragged down the streets of Madison. And we heard from an organizer um, shortly after all of this wrapped up and the you know dust had settled, and a reporter asked her, why were these statues targeted? And there wasn't a real clear 100% answer to why those statues were targeted. However, she did mention that, you know, the forward statue doesn't make sense right now. She didn't believe that Wisconsin is moving forward. So that statue has no place up right now. But such a contentious and... um some would say baffling decision because we're seeing in other states and other cities, there are these Confederate monuments that are coming down. But these two monuments had nothing, these two statues had nothing to do with that. So certainly a talker when we were out there, we saw a lot of people taking pictures of it, cleaning up and asking why. You know, Aaron, you, you you point out specifically that that they didn't really give a good explanation for why. And you, you brought up the Confederate monuments that are being brought down all across the country. And, and perhaps maybe that leads into just the idea, the notion of pulling down symbols of government or whatever it may be. And these are obviously right outside the state capitol. But you also interviewed someone in your story uh, who said, you know, please don't view this as violence. And, and look, I'm trying to be a voice here of opening 
dialogue. What I wonder is, did you get the sense in talking to people around Capitol Square, especially during the daytime, when you had some of the people who were organizing for what they want to be peaceful protests, do you get the sense that there is any sort of division there growing between those who want to get the message out about racial justice, about uh, the peaceful protests, versus those who are then causing this sort of maybe you know, uh, uh, unaimed, uh, you know, destruction of statues that represent the very things they might be fighting for. Did you get a sense of any division there or any concern that maybe the message could be lost? Yeah, you know, I definitely did get that because throughout the day, I think we heard from a number of different voices. And later in the day, we heard from a man, um, Kashawn Johnson, who is part of the Black Lives Matter movement, who said, I want to make this extremely clear. This, the damage, the statues, that was not my group. That was not my organization. That was, he believes, he says, outside agitators who weren't marching with him for much of the day. He said he was looking around during all the destruction and the main people doing the, the pulling down, throwing the bricks, he says, was not with his organization. So there, there seems to be um, that. You know, him really wanting to make sure it's known that the people who were peaceful, he says, were not the same people involved in the damage. While they, while, although they might have, you know, possibly been around um, because they were upset about the arrest that happened, uh, he says they were not part of that damage too. But yeah, you definitely do hear a number of different voices and a lot of different messages on what they want uh, to be heard. Some saying uh, change needs to come, that change is defunding the police, that change is making sure that community groups get more money, or just that, um, you know, organizations have diverse boards, diverse leaderships too. So we're, we're, we were definitely hearing a lot of different voices out there. Aaron, I'm going to ask you uh, what I asked our colleague Vanche when he was on the podcast a couple weeks ago. As you're covering this, what's going through your mind as a black journalist during this time and covering these kinds of issues? You know, it's such a um, I think I bring it such a different perspective to every story I cover. But these protests um, have really been something else because I have been the only person of color in the room where it happens. Um, I have, I felt been discriminated against before. So I definitely hear what people are saying. I hear the hurt that people have. Then I, but I have to make sure that I am a fair and balanced journalist and I'm hearing both sides. So I definitely being out there. Yeah, I do feel the emotion that people are having and, um, I think it definitely gives me an advantage when telling the story, but um, there are moments where I really have to step back and uh, I guess take a moment for myself because it is it is such a tough topic. It looks like we've lost Jason temporarily. So, Aaron, I'm going to stick with what we're talking about here. But you, you, you talked about the difficulty because you had your own just personal experiences as a, as a not just a black journalist, as, as a black person, uh, but as a journalist covering this, um, it, it's you identify, as you said, with some of the people who are protesting. Um, does that also, does it, do you find that that helps you to get people uh, to talk to you, to open up to you because they think, okay, this is at least someone 
who knows where I'm coming from. Has that helped you in terms of the ability to get people to talk who might otherwise be distrustful of the media, especially when the media is coming around with cameras to cover uh, protests like this? Absolutely. And, you know, I always get these people who will pull me aside and say, it's so good to see you out here. Thank you for being out here. But please make sure that you're telling that correct story. Um, so I, I think I definitely always have those conversations with people. People will approach me um, after the protests or during the protests saying, it's so good to see you out here telling our story. Um, so if that answers your question, I think it definitely does give me, it, it offers, I guess, a different opportunity than maybe other people have. And that's, I'd imagine that's a lot of pressure, especially working in a very white newsroom, if we're being totally honest here, that, uh, you know, now it's okay. Well, Aaron will represent the black viewpoint, which is not a great way to look at it, because as you just pointed out, there are a lot of different viewpoints on this within the black community. There's never just one black viewpoint. When I was out there at the state capitol building, there was a, a state leader who I had you know, connected with before who travels the state and has been traveling the state throughout all these protests. And he said to me, he's going to these cities across the state, and there are people who you would not expect to be out there, to be protesting, to be standing in solidarity with the the movement, right? And I think it shows that this is not only an issue that um, a Black reporter should care about, a Black um person should care about. This is a human issue, a human rights issue that we are seeing. Um, so I definitely agree that um, while I'm out there, I think everyone should be out there. Everyone should be listening and learning and telling those stories and sharing those stories to provide information to people who aren't out there. It looks like we have Jason back. Jason, since you're back, I want to ask, we saw a flurry of statements on Wednesday coming out from both Democrats and Republicans reacting to the tearing down of the statues, reacting in particular to the physical attack on Senator Carpenter. And and to a person, they all said that they feel for Senator Carpenter. They hope he's okay. Um, and and you, you saw a little bit of a difference in those statements, though, where Republicans, many of them seem to turn the focus to toward Governor Evers and toward the mayor of Madison for what they said was a hands-off approach by police and a hands-off approach to uh, uh, really doing anything about the protests that were, you know, as they were getting out of hand. Jesse Rodriguez called it an invitation, essentially, to further disruption and destruction. Then you had uh, uh, Melissa Sargent, um, a Democrat, who was saying, you know, that she wants to make sure the message isn't lost, the original message and, and frustration over George Floyd's death isn't lost in this. What are you hearing from lawmakers as the fallout from what occurred Tuesday night? Yeah, I did hear some of that from uh, State Representative David Bowen, who's been joining those protesters, peaceful protesters in Milwaukee. And he said, you know, what he saw there with the violence, the attacks, all of that, he said that was very, he called it ignorant. Um, he, he said that, you know, it's, it's important for the people seeing those acts of destruction and violence to not, to not see that as the people that are out there every single day making these, uh, making what he, you know, joining him in you know, these peaceful protests, uh, you know, there, there's the history here of the 200 days marching for housing equality in Milwaukee, right? And so we're not to 200 days yet on this issue, and, and the protesters say they're going to keep on protesting every day. 
until until they have justice. Now, what is justice? I mean, everybody has a different definition. We talked about you know police reform and some people calling for stripping money from the police departments, defunding police, etc. Um, but but Bowen is saying, don't compare the violent people to and, and as Aaron has said too, you know where where do these violent people come from? Were they part of the original group or not? Um, there's a lot of questions, but. But Bowen, one of these people that's been joining the marches every day, says these are two different groups here. I did see some uh, observations on social media that uh, state lawmakers haven't really been convening over the last couple weeks to talk about these uh, police reform issues. Certainly we saw the proposed reforms from the governor's office, but we haven't heard as much from our leaders in the legislature about it. And then after the unrest in Madison, um, you know, somehow they all kind of managed to get their statements out and convene to survey the damage. That, that is a, that is a good point. Yeah, they were there. They were, they had the press conference was called uh, for them to, to visit the, to visit the to tour, the damage, and then immediately to have a press conference afterwards. And that, that email was sent out, what, about an hour before the press conference. So it was, it was a pretty quick for us in Milwaukee. It was a quick turnaround to get out there, um, and, and try to cover, cover that. But you're right. They were able to convene and, and put together a press event, uh, immediately, you know, the day of hours after the destruction. Um, you know, when I've talked to Democrats who have been pushing for some of these police reform bills, they said nothing's going to happen this this session. You know, session is already you know run out as far as the normal sessions. They could call and they could call a special session. The governor could call a special session. He didn't because he said in the past things that when he's called special sessions, they just have the, the Republican legislative leaders haven't brought up the bills for a debate and a vote. And so he, he said it wasn't going to be useful to do that this time around. Um, What's going to happen on police reform? You know, maybe something in January can move. Uh, but what exactly? You know, you see Senator Van Wangard, uh, who's in charge of the Judiciary Committee in the Senate, is putting together his own sort of police reform bill. He is working with um, with various uh, groups and, and trying to come up with some sort of uh, thing that can pass the legislature. But this is an issue we're seeing in Washington as well, where you, you see the Democrats and the Republicans unable to come up with an agreement. You know, there's a lot of things that they can agree on, like limiting and restricting chokeholds, um, th- things like having a registry of, of uh, police excessive force. But, you know, when it comes down to it, there's there's these issues where they cannot find agreement on, including uh, liability for police officers and, and things like that, that they're unable to come to an agreement on. Aaron, in your story on, on Wednesday, uh, last night, you you talked to protesters, and I believe the tag out to your story is you were back live on camera. You talked about protesters who were beginning to gather again. There was a small group at that point. You'd spoken to them, and they told you that they their plans were to not only protest and have their voices heard, but to be peaceful. I think you said they hoped to remain peaceful. And what I wonder is, I don't know if they're talking about this, but after a night like Tuesday, are there discussions about how how they keep these things peaceful, what they can do to try to make sure that it doesn't rise to something like that. Again, are those, did you get a sense those discussions are going on amongst the protesters who are arriving in the daytime and want to just have their voices heard on this very important subject to them that that, that it not be uh, drowned out by some sort of incident like what happened Tuesday night? Yeah, you could definitely tell uh, before I started talking with everyone that there was some sort of, I'd call it a group huddle before they got started, before they met. It it seems like they were recapping what happened yesterday. 
and um, I, I wasn't in that conversation at all, but my guess is that they were talking about, you know, what went wrong, how they strayed away, how things strayed away from their message. Um, but again, that man was telling me they weren't part of that agitation. So it could have been a conversation of how to keep those agitators away from their group. But, but but hard to tell. I will say that, um, you know, they seemed very determined to still be outside. When we were leaving, it was about to be a thunderstorm. They still wanted to be outside. They still wanted to protest. And hearing Jason say, you know, there's a chance we're not going to see any movement on some of these proposed uh, legislative reforms until January that really struck me because what the protesters, and we should distinguish there are protesters, there are agitators, there are demonstrators, there are a lot of different kind of groups here merging in one. They're not all one and the same. But the protesters and the demonstrators have been saying this can't wait. That's why they're protesting. So if we're not going to see any of this until January, um, I, I think that it's it's going to be an interesting several months until then, to say the least. Yeah, I think they definitely want to see change as soon as possible. They'd like to see it now, and January is pretty far away. I get the sense, Aaron, this won't be the last time you are covering this issue. We hope it's the last time you're covering a night like Tuesday night, but uh, that remains to be seen. There's certainly a lot of tension still in the air, for sure. And we hope it's not the last time you're on the podcast. Absolutely. This is my first time, and I've had a good time. Well, we appreciate you taking the time. I know it's an early wake-up call sometimes to get here on the podcast. Even though these are often published later in the day, we record fairly early in the morning. So, again, thanks for taking the time to join us, Aaron. Thank you for your hard work on uncovering these very difficult issues, and we look forward to having you back on the podcast again in the not-too-distant future. We've lost Jason again. Thank you. But if Jason were here, we would also thank him. Of course, we're going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record as we cover these protests, as we cover the COVID-19 pandemic, which certainly hasn't gone away. If there's a topic you want us to discuss, an issue you think we should investigate, please send an email to theinvestigators at fox.com. That's T-H-E, investigators, at fox.com. Thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back with our next regularly scheduled episode on Tuesday. (music) 